Welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is the place to connect to who you truly are. We're bringing PhDs, experts, and leaders to help you elevate your mindset in your work life and in your love life so that you can see things differently and truly love your world. I'm Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, author, and TEDx speechwriter and booker, and I'm excited to bring you in to this week's episode. Hey, U-Turn friends, it's Ash here, and I'm so excited for today's throwback. It's with Marla Mattinson, all about whether you're ready for a relationship. This is episode 24 of the U-Turn podcast, which means we are in the depths of like 2018, 2019 Ashley Stahl. So uh, I'm really excited for you to experience where I was at at this time in service to you, in service to where you might be at, and whether you're in a relationship and you're coming up on some issues and wondering like what is going on, or you're single and you're dating, this is a really powerful episode. So enjoy, sending you lots of love. Hey everybody, it's Ash again, and I am here with Marla Mattinson, who is a relationship and intimacy expert, and she specifically focuses on supporting couples who are entrepreneurs. So she's got really an incredible niche, and we want to talk about the seven signs that you're ready for a relationship. And this is incredible for you, whether you're single or you're in a relationship, maybe you're not meeting one of these criteria, and that's why things aren't as rosy as you would like them to be. So before I go any further, Marla, thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to talk about all this. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm personally like, okay, I think my podcast is starting to turn into my own free coaching package because now I'm like, perfect. We've got somebody who can help with my probably deep, dark questions that everybody else is wondering. Um, but I'm so Absolutely. curious <laughs> before you even got into this, like where, what and why, like what drew you to relationships? Why is this something so close to your heart that you're working on now? I have always been fascinated by relationships from a very young age, and I tend to go really deep with people as soon as we connect. And so I was just really fascinated and wanting to know more and more about how other couples interact and how they work. And and I was pretty lost when I was young in relationships. And so I became a doula, helping women through labor and delivery of their babies. And And I wanted to be in service to learn more about intimate relationships. And so I started working with couples, helping them with having their babies. And I ended up specializing in twins back in the day. And I was invited into really the most intimate time in a couple's life is when they're bringing a new life into the world. And that that turned into coaching couples Mm -hmm. because one person would talk to me and then the other partner would talk to me and I'd say, hey, let's come together so we can talk about this together. And then that moved into entrepreneurship entrepreneurship because both of my parents are entrepreneurs and it just seemed obvious to work with entrepreneurs because entrepreneurs tend to have a growth mindset. They tend to be risk takers, empire builders. They're willing to feel the pain of growth and move through it. And and so that it's with me is to really be the best version of yourself in the world and to be willing to take a look at the truth of who you are and how you're impacting others. Wow. Okay. Obviously, I've read so many books talking about the impact of picking the right partner. So maybe somebody who's listening right now is single. Maybe somebody who's listening right now has that deep, dark whisper inside that's telling them they've picked the wrong match for them. And so I'm really excited to dive into these questions. And I can't help but notice that the first comment you have 
that you sent me was, if you're asking yourself these questions, you're not ready. Um, so tell me a little bit about what that means. Right. So I did this really fun Wendy Williams segment a few months ago about knowing, you know, are you ready for a relationship or not? And how do you know? And it came out of a genuine conversation with one of the interviewers for the show. And basically it's like, Hey, if you're asking yourself these seven questions, or if these seven things are happening in your life, probably you're not ready. Or if you're already in a relationship and there's some challenges, it's probably because one or more of these things is going on underneath or behind the scenes. Hmm. Okay. And I also saw you noting, you know, asking yourself questions like, why isn't this working? Why aren't I meeting the right people? Why are the good ones taken? So what is that about when somebody who is single or maybe somebody in a relationship is saying like, why can't things just work with us? Um, What is that about? Yeah. So, you know, if you're asking the questions out in the world, like, like, where are all the good guys or where are all the amazing women? Then you're looking for a problem. You're Mm. looking for where people are not. You're looking for why is it's a victim mentality, right? It's basically saying to the universe, I can't find what I'm looking for. And so therefore the universe is going to reflect for you exactly unemotionally what you're projecting out, which is you can't find what you're looking for. So if you want to find what you're looking for, you got to turn it around. And instead of saying, how come this isn't working? All the good ones are taken. Instead of doing that, you switch it around and you say, I know for a fact that my guy is right around the corner. And then you just open your eyes and you open your heart and you look around and look for people in a new way. So stop looking just at the outside right? Look at the inside. Who are these people that you're talking to, that you're meeting, that you're interacting with? Because some people can be in a really beautiful package, but what's going on on the inside is a lot lot of negativity. So you want to make sure you're not getting duped by that package and you are actually going for the heart and what this person has to offer you in relationship. Amazing. And how do you think somebody makes that energetic shift? You know, and and also, I mean, Marla, there's so many, I have so many friends on the apps, I've tried them. And sometimes they really do like have that situation where it's like a good looking guy or a nice person, it seems. And, and then there's like something just completely like a flagrant disregard for, I don't know, like, human nature that they'll find with this guy. Like the guy will see something or do something that like my eyeballs pop out of my face. Like I can't believe it happened. So I think it's still, it's also a real thing, right? Where there's also a lot of people out there that have to work on themselves. So I guess the question is like, why are we attracting that? Or, or what do you have to say about the reality that there is a lot of people that aren't going to work? That's part of the game, right? Yes, that is part of the game. This is about sharpening your intuitive skills. Skills, right. And so basically what you want to do is you want to write a list uh, and, you know, people have written all kinds of lists, but this list, you're writing literally the qualities that you want in your partner and keep in mind how you want to feel while those qualities are being expressed. So the list has two parts, the qualities in the partner. And the second list is the qualities that you want to feel when you're with your partner. So for example, you can put on the list, like when my partner comes home from work, um, 
that I feel happy and I, I see a smile on my face and I'm excited to greet him at the door. And, you know, or if you work from home, like as soon as work is over that we hug each other and we embrace and we enjoy each other's company. And like, for example, my partner and I, he and I, at the end of like working a big, long day, we'll turn to each other and say, Hey, want to hang out? You know, uh-huh. because we just love being together all the time. And so it's the qualities in the partner and then the qualities in you. So instead, most people just focus on one or the other, like how I want to feel in relationship or how the partner should show up. And the people who attract the healthiest relationships are the ones who have both lists where you're talking about the qualities that you want in a partner and the qualities that you want to have expressed by being with the partner. So for example, you want to say to yourself, I want to feel uplifted by this person on a daily basis. I want to feel inspired. I want to feel like I really respect this person and what they're doing in the world. And I want to feel connected. I want to feel loved and fulfilled. I want to feel nourished and nurtured. And I want to feel sexy. And I want to feel like I am the most beautiful woman in the world because that's how he looks at me. You know, I want to like when other women walk by, he appreciates their beauty and then looks back at me and goes, Oh, I just love you. You're amazing. And that's, that's what I've created. And anybody can create that if you have that vision. Mm, Amazing. And okay. So even moving forward, I thought it was really interesting that one of your points when it comes to these seven questions to ask yourself, these seven steps, these seven points is if you're in the first year of a new job, you're not ready. That really surprised me because I have a course called the Job Offer Academy and it helps people land a new job. And I've never really thought about anybody entering that course as a sign for where they're at in their abilities to be present in a relationship. So what what is that about? Mm, Yes. Oh, I love that offer, by the way. (laughs) I totally want to give that to some people. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so here's what's happening. It's kind of like when you're in the first year of a new job, If you don't give it 100% of your attention while you're working, then you're not giving it a fair shot, okay? And so part of your attention is going to be split. If you're in the beginning of a love relationship and you're in the beginning of a new job, a new career, then what's going to happen is part of your passion and drive to do an excellent job in work is going to be taken by the drive and passion to be establishing this relationship. And there's nothing wrong with if this is taking up more and more of your time and energy and attention. And, you know, a lot of people, we get into the staying up until three in the morning and texting and FaceTiming and being on the phone and, you know, and really embracing being in a love relationship that is going to impact your performance at work. And Mm. so it's kind of like the first year of being sober. You don't want to uh, get in a long-term relationship. Now, sex and having fun and enjoying yourself and doing casual dating and being explicit with the fact that, hey, I'm just taking on some lovers right now, but I'm not going to actually be um, available for a full relationship. That kind of communication is 100% perfect for being in the first year of a new job so that you can really focus on where you're going in the direction of your career instead of basically diffusing all of your energy into relationship and job and doing kind of a mediocre job in both. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's also just like cracking me up the thought, like I can't imagine looking at a man and being like, Hey, I just need you to know, like I'm taking on some lovers right now, but (laughs) Um, I'll be honest with you. That's what I said to Julian when we first met. 
I said, just FYI, I'm, I have a few lovers. I'm not interested in a long-term relationship right now. And then within two weeks, I said, I don't want to be with anybody else. I basically texted everybody and said, uh, we're done. Don't send me any sexy text messages. We're, you know, I'm, I'm off the market. And he obviously said the same. So it was, you know, you have to be really honest with where you are and not play the games. The games are, I'm available, but you're really not available. Just be explicit and practice speaking your truth no matter what, even if it's really uncomfortable. Wow. Oh my gosh. I have one of my really <laughs> close girlfriends who is going to listen to this episode and have a breakdown after this point. <laughs> Tell so, her to call me. Yeah, I I think I probably will. And you and I see that you said, you know, you kind of proved your point here where if somebody amazing comes along for you, you shouldn't pass it up. Um, but I could totally see the common sense. And I guess it's it's hard for me to swallow that idea that if you, you know, go out into the world and you meet somebody amazing, that it might compete with your career. So what are your suggestions for somebody that is kind of like what you were, where they're like, sorry, I'm taking on lovers. And then suddenly <laughs> it's like, no, I love you and I want to be with you. And you're maybe in your first year of a new job or you're doing something that really requires focus. Here's the thing, and this is true for everyone, whether you're in that scenario or not. As soon as you meet someone who seems like they could be a phenomenal partner, you want to take it as slow as you can. Not everybody can go slow, but can enough to witness the truth of how this person shows up. Are their words and actions congruent? Are they in integrity? Meaning are they integrated with what they're saying and what they're doing and how they're showing up? If they say, oh my God, I'm so in love with you. And then they show up an hour late. Or if they say that they're going to call you at a certain time and they don't, and they don't text you to say, Hey, I need 20 extra minutes and I'm going to call you as soon as I'm done. Right. So you want to witness the truth of how this person is showing up and not get sucked into the chemicals of falling in love and the chemicals of passion and the chemicals of the, you know, the doe eyed beginning of a relationship. You want to have the balance of that lovely, amazing, fresh expression of love and the, the reality of the logical, clear, objective observer inside of yourself that we all have that can look at the truth. How is this person showing up? What are the red flags that I already see? And are those red flags things that I can that I can deal with? Like, for example, if Julian was a cigarette smoker, it would be a no. That's a red flag that's a no for me. You know, yeah. um, there are other red flags that aren't such a big deal. You know, like he has like some anger stuff that pops up here and there. Mm -hmm. I don't care because I'm, I, that's not my bag. So it doesn't activate me in the same way that it might activate somebody else that has anger issues. I have more issues of control. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so, you know, we work well together. It's fine. No, that's why you look so polished in all your pictures. It's just your control <laughs> issues coming through. Marla. That's control in a really positive direction, yeah. right? Way to harness it. Yeah. I looked at your exactly. pictures. I was like, this woman's beautiful. And there's a couple questions. I have. What is the line? And I know this is really hard and this is for anybody to go in. Cause I hear a lot of friends in their relationship as well as my single friends between nitpicking and truth. Like what is the line between nitpicking somebody's issues and being like, I don't know, they're not this, they're not that. And really seeing something that doesn't work for you. How do you fo follow that? That's a great question. This is making me super happy right now, by the way. Yes, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay. Nitpicking elicits judgment and blame and 
sort of like an attacking mode. The truth elicits sadness. It elicits, like when you realize, oh man, I really wanted this person to be X and they're not showing up that way over and over and over, like three strikes and you're out kind of thing, you know, it elicits an emotion of just genuine sadness. So if you're in anger, if you're in frustration, irritation, or judgment, you're probably nitpicking things. And if you drop it down a little bit to feel the emotion underneath it, you may start to see the reason I'm nitpicking is because this person isn't showing up the way I really need in relationship. Ah, so there's truth under Yeah. And that's an opportunity though. It doesn't mean it's over. It means that's an opportunity for you to speak your truth and say, you know, without blaming them, without saying you don't do this and you don't do that. Instead you say, you know, I've realized some things. I've realized that I'm not enjoying when you say you're going to call and then you don't call for two hours after the time you said you were going to call or you know, I realized that when you said that we were going to be alone for this date tonight and then you invited your friends, it just, it didn't feel good to me. And that's something that I want to just talk about because I'm just wondering, is that a big deal for you or not a big deal for you? You know, so you open up the line of communication. If you realize that there's something that's off in the relationship, you don't just scrap it. You give the person an opportunity to say and show up as their best selves to say, you know what? I didn't even realize that was an issue for you. I didn't even realize that I was doing that. And you know what? I'm going to make it more of an effort to not do that in the future because that's not really who I am and how I want to show up. And that, or, yeah, right, and that's, so they can pivot also. And that brings a deeper intimacy. Yes. And that's kind of like what we talked about before we started recording is how relationships can be this vehicle for transformation. And that's kind of also what I want to ask you on this same note is, you know, one of my really good friends, I mean, I feel so sad for her to listen to this because she's going to feel the sadness of the truth when she listens to this, (laughs) um, is, you know, she, she'll nitpick these guys and talk about all the things that don't work for her. And, you know, sometimes I think, well, maybe she had some traumatic experiences from the past that is influencing her nitpicking. You know, she doesn't want certain things to happen again. Um, but I'm also really curious, like, how does somebody decide what's a deal breaker for them or not? Do you think that we just all have this intuitive knowing? Because my experience is that not everybody is connected to themselves enough to really know what's a red flag deal breaker versus just like a red flag and maybe worthwhile conversation where the relationship can transform. And then there's also that dynamic of people trying to fix somebody and save them. Hey, U-Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Career Clarity Lab, the e-course on the internet to help you find your purpose in the workforce and upgrade your confidence. Head on over to careerclaritylab.com and now back to this week's episode. Yes, so I think that if you're in a scenario sure if this is working. You want to use the relationship as a place to practice showing up as your most unapologetic love 
effing self. So Julian and I teach what we call the unapologetic life, and that's unapologetic relationship, the unapologetic sales, and unapologetic self-inquiry. And that practice is no matter whom I am in contact with, I show up as my most genuine, authentic, unapologetic self with as much kindness as possible. And so if you're in a scenario where you're not sure if it's working or not, you practice showing up and speaking the truth of what you see, speaking the truth of what you feel, what you know, and then dealing with the reaction of the partner and letting them have whatever reaction they have, because that's going to reveal more of the truth of who they are and how they show up. And here's the benefit. The benefit is if you practice in every single relationship and every single date and every single interaction you have with a potential partner, then guess what? Either that partner can grow with you and they are the person to spend the rest of your life with or the next 10 years or whatever you're going to do, or they're not. And in either case, you've been practicing showing up as your best self, being unapologetic with saying what you see, speaking what you know, sharing your truth with this person. And what I'm talking about is living a growth-based life together where you're open and available for reflection and self-inquiry, and you're doing it together. And that's why we say that we teach couples how to live their life as in relationship as the vehicle for their own personal transformation. It's for my transformation that I'm in this relationship. Mm, And what are some signs that the person has allowed what you have to say land? So I know that maybe somebody's listening and they're single and they're trying to figure out, or maybe they have a partner and they are starting to realize that there's certain things that don't work for them and they don't really know how to gauge whether the conversation landed for their partner and there's growth happening. Cause I mean, where's that line where you wait a month and see if they saw what you heard or heard what you said, um, versus, okay, I need to walk away. They, they aren't integrating what I've shared. Right. So the first response is when you're sharing it, you're witnessing how they're receiving it. So the degree to which someone has done their own work up until they met you is, is very easy to witness in when you say something that's challenging, how they receive it. So that's the first place is how do they receive what you're saying? And then do their actions change, right? Do their actions change at all? And are they changing just to please you or are they changing because they genuinely want to grow? If they're changing to please you, it'll last about 90 days at the most, and uh-huh. then they'll go right back to their old behavior. Bummer. If they're changing because they really want to grow and change, then it will be a much longer lasting process. However, it will probably take longer, and, and you won't see the, the real results for about six months. And the reason is, when you really want to change a pattern in yourself, and it's not easy to change, it takes a little bit more time to really change this pattern. And people say it takes 21 days. It takes way longer than that when you're doing it in a relationship because you're dealing with two people with all of their energy and all of their emotions and all of their actions. And if you're not spending a lot of time together, then it's how much time you have with that person, right? So like Julian and I spend a lot of time together. So we say, you know, in entrepreneur years, we've been together for about 50 years. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I know it expedites and prolongs a lot of experiences, that journey. Um, and I'm also curious with incongruence, which is kind of on the same topic. There are so many men that I've personally met and dated where they'll look me in the eye. We'll be sitting in this beautiful place and they'll say, I'm ready for this. I want that. I want to have this family, but then their actions don't really match up with it. So 
maybe mm-hmm. maybe they are a workaholic and every time I turn around like I've had men who are like you're amazing and I want to be with you and I'm going to make the time and I'm going to fly down and see you and then the next week they're like oh no I'm going to Russia for work oh no I'm going to Israel oh I'm going to be in New York and then like they just fall off and then they'll pop into my life like three months later and be like I miss you what are you up to and I'm like ugh not responding to this but oh, like yes. I'm so that's... curious what is that incongruence yes yeah, so that's you know that's the thing that I'd say you're accepting crumbs mm. right so I feel that as a woman as a man as anyone who's serious about wanting to be in a relationship you want to demand a full piece of cake you don't want crumbs You want the full shebang, right? Unless you only want crumbs, which means you just want a few lovers. That's fine. Then don't expect people to be available for you, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're very clear and you say, I really do want to date and I want to be in a serious relationship and develop something together, then how people show up with their actions matter way more. Mm. than how they're showing up with their words. And so if somebody is ghosting you, if somebody is saying, oh yeah, I'm so into this, so into this, and then they're gone for a month or five days or three months, and then they pop up again, it's a booty call. Let's just call it what it is. It's a passionate, exciting booty call kind of a thing where you go through these waves and these phases, and that's not somebody who's going to be consistent with you. And if you really want a growth-based relationship, You need to be with somebody who can be consistent. It doesn't have to be a daily thing, but it needs to be an agreed upon more consistent, like at least a few times a week where you're connecting on a deeper level rather than ghosting for three months. Wow. That's so interesting. And I think I'm just so curious with standards because this could be existing in relationships as well as single again, where it's like the person says they want to be there, but somebody's feeling a yearning and a pain with their partner because their partner isn't there. So it's the same as dating. It's like the person can disappear and ghost you, or you can feel kind of ghosted within your relationship, you know? And I see a lot of my friends who are married and they're starved in their marriage for connection. And I'm so curious, like, Where do the standards lie when it comes to being single and dating versus being in a relationship? Like, for example, if you go out with somebody a couple times, I've had so many friends that are having all these expectations, like he should be texting me, he should be calling me, we had such a good time, I haven't heard from him for a week. Like, at what point are you going with the flow? And at what point are you becoming like Judge Judy, where you're like kicking people's (laughs) ass unnecessarily? Yes. So... I am a big fan of zero game playing, okay? I'm a big fan of living an unapologetic life, which means I'm going to be me, and if you don't dig it, guess what? I'm not going to put on a mask, a face, or a representative to please you in any way, shape, or form. So that's true in relationship. That's true in business. That's true in every aspect of my life. And so my advice here is do what you want to receive. If you want to receive daily text, send a daily text. And that goes against a lot of dating advice. It goes against the book of the rules, right? Especially for women like, oh, that would be too much. That's horrifying. I'm never going to do that. But guess what? If you're hiding who you really are, and if you're hiding what you really want, then how is a man supposed to even know that that's what you enjoy? Because if you tell him that's what you want, now he's going to do something just to please you. And he may not want to do that. But when you give what you want to receive, it's a way of getting that need met 
in a, in a very non-traditional way. And then you really see the truth of the partner. Like for example, the really the first time that Julian and I made love and you know, some people are probably going to cringe right now, but I said, I hope you take this in the way I really mean it, that I love you. And he could handle it. And you know, that's like a huge rule breaker. Right. But guess what? I did. And it wasn't like I was in love with him. It wasn't like, you know, it was the only thing on earth, but I felt so deeply that the love emanating between us was so strong. It just, it came out and he received it. And if I didn't do that, I would be pretending to be somebody that I'm not. And I am a very intense, passionate woman. And I knew I needed to just be exactly who I am, totally unapologetically, so that whatever partner came in at the time would receive that or not. I mean, some men would be horrified and run for the hills. Good. Goodbye. (laughs) Yeah, you're not my partner then, right? And Julian stood in the fire and was like, oh, wow, that's... Uh, beautiful and intense and he stayed, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's been an amazing journey. So, and now we're obviously in business together and everything. Mm, that's so interesting. And I'm still wondering, you know, in the beginning phase, because there's so many times where I think to myself, well, we don't really know each other, you know, like I don't, and there's so many gender roles, right? Like uh, so many of my female friends are like, I don't want to text him. I want him to pursue me. And I think there's so much to attraction and what creates that feeling of attraction between a man and woman. I'm clearly no expert, but I'm guessing. So I'm curious, like, are there still some things um, beyond being your unapologetic self that do create better success for couples? Yes. And for, especially for entrepreneurs. So for Female entrepreneurs who are total badasses, who are ambitious and building empires, like that's my special. Those women, and I include myself and you in, the, in that category, Woo-hoo! right? Those women are so strong out in the world. It's really important for us to rest in surrender into a partner. In If you want to be in a partnership, to be able to really access that deep feminine and fully surrender into a partner. And so to that the, literally one of the reasons I can be so out there and apo- unapologetic in, in life and in business is because I have a deep surrender in my relationship. So for example, I'm the alpha in our business. He's what we call the power beta mm-hmm. and which is a beta, but in his power, right? He supports me and supports what we're putting out into the world. But in the relationship, he's the alpha, and I'm the power beta. And so we we take on those roles in service of having an amazing, passionate, dynamic relationship. Mm-hmm. Because if I was the controller and if I was the one who was guiding the entire relationship, that wouldn't feel good to either one of us. Mm, so interesting. And how does that look when you're single? And how does that look when you're in a partnership? Okay. So when you were saying that, you know, I want a man to pursue me, or, you know, a lot of women want a man to pursue them. There is something really important about that. You do want to see that you're not the one always reaching out. So when I said, you know, well, if you want to receive a text every day, send a text every day. That's after you feel a connection with this person and they're actually on board that they want to start and really work on something together. In the very, very beginning of uh, a relationship where you're just kind of sniffing each other out, right? Like checking <laughs> each other out. Like, yeah. what are you all about? Let's check you out. You want to really be reserved. 
you want to show up as much as they are showing up, mm-hmm. right? The reason why I could say I love you to Julian in that moment was because he was also showing up in his fullness. And so you want to only give as much as the other person is giving until you both come to the agreement that you really want to do this together. Mm-hmm. And this is especially important for women or men who are over generous and over giving. Julian and I like to say hashtag giver giver because we're both givers. You have to understand whom you are with, right? Are you with a giver or are you with a taker? Are you with somebody who is, um, is just like sucking up all of your goodness and not giving anything back? Or are you with somebody who constantly gives back to you? So this is part of the observing thing as well. And so if you're with somebody who just seems to take what you're giving, stop giving so much and see what happens, Mm. right? Just stop giving so much and back off a little bit and then just see how this person actually shows up without you driving the show. Okay. And then how does that look in a relationship? Because I have some friends where I'm watching their marriage And I'm like, wow, she's tired. She's running the show. She's giving everything. And she's so hungry for this man to love her and give her attention. And he says he's a yes. And it looks like a ring on her finger, a house. Maybe she's pregnant, but it doesn't really feel like a yes when you watch their dynamic. So how does somebody step into being empowered in that dynamic? Honestly. Honestly, I would say one of the most important ways to really learn how to get your needs fulfilled in relationship and in in marriage in particular is to reach out for guidance and support. And that looks like hiring a therapist or hiring a coach or hiring a relationship expert who can help you navigate towards each other. Because if one person starts to become the guide, what happens is that person becomes the teacher and that person becomes the parent in that dynamic. Nobody wants to have sex with their parent. (laughs) No one wants to have sex with their parent. No healthy person wants that. Right. So it's one of the, one of the worst dynamics you can get into child dynamic. And what happens passion killer, big passion killer, right? If I'm the mommy in the relationship, it's really gross. (laughs) So, um, and same with the daddy, you don't want to have a daddy complex. You don't want to have somebody who's just, you know, taking over that daddy role. You want to have a third party to come in and help you navigate towards each other. And what that does is it helps uncover the patterns of where you're falling off into old habits. And if you really want to live a life of connection and intimacy and depth, where it grows over time, where your sex gets deeper and more intimate over time and more passionate and you're more exploratory and you're doing new things in the world together, then you really need to have a guide, in my opinion, to really like root it down. And Julian and I do too. We get guidance from other experts because it's important. You can't be the leader in your relationship. You have to have uh, an outside leader until you learn how to do it together. And so we do both. We guide each other and because we have techniques on how to do that as a couple. And then we also have guidance from the outside. And, you know, I've seen a lot of dynamics where the woman is very insightful, very empowered and emotionally intelligent, and maybe the guy is really good in business. And so what I'll notice is an exchange almost where the girl is the emotional grounding and the guy is the success. Um, So where does it become a collaboration versus two people filling each other's voids? Mm. Well, that has to do with a value system. Okay. Right. The value system is... 
is money and financial input the most valuable thing in your relationship? Or can you place the value in another location? Okay. Mm-hmm. So what do I mean by that? I mean, what do you truly value together as a couple? And ask yourselves, like, what do we really desire in our lives together? Because money and financial stability and financial success is just one piece of the puzzle here, right? So let's say if one person is the, is the serious breadwinner and the other person helps take care of the home or brings the enthusiasm and love and passion to the relationship and helps elevate the other person so they can go out there and be the breadwinner. So where are the values? Like for Julian and I, growth and inquiry, meaning self-reflection and understanding ourselves, like know thyself is the highest value in Mm. our relationship. Mm. And from that comes the financial success. From that comes the passion in our relationship because we can explore together and we have this desire to know ourselves and know each other. Like for example, we have this exercise called, um, the amnesia plan. And it's super simple. You literally, you look at your partner, like let's say he's doing the dishes or something. And I look over at him. And if I find myself judging him, for example, like, why is he doing it like that? I will close my eyes and I will go inside and I will tell myself, I love this man. This man is like such a godsend. He's an amazing human being. And now I'm going to get curious with my eyes closed. I wonder who is he now? Who has he grown into? And then I open my eyes with fresh eyes as if I've never seen him before. I have amnesia, by the way, selective amnesia. Only the negative things have gone away. All the positive things from the past are still there. Okay. And I open my eyes with freshness and I look at him and I go with curiosity and love. Look at that man doing that task ask right now. And I just send him love and I see him in full appreciation for who he is and how he chooses to move through life. Not how I prefer that he moved through life because Julian and I moved through life in a very different way. And yet there's a lot of overlap. And so when you start to see your partner with fresh eyes on a daily basis, then you leave room for growth and you leave room for change because you want to grow and change, but you want your partner to stay the same and be predictable. No, it doesn't work like that. You have to learn how to want to be in the chaos of growth. Mm, And I also can totally see how dynamics are so deep seated that if you practice this amnesia exercise, it's so helpful because a lot of the times we continue to create the same old dynamic that's not working because we believe that that person is game to keep being that person today as they were yesterday, yesterday or the week before that or the week before that, that wasn't working for the relationship. So I can see how kind of like dropping into the possibility um, of who you stand for them to be or a, or a vision for them or a vision for yourself um, is so powerful. And I'm also really curious about sexual dynamics because you mentioned something that I think a lot of people are suffering from and that probably they're listening to this and it's like hitting a chord about their sex- sexual connection. I think a lot of couples, some sort of dynamic came along the way. And yes, they probably would benefit so much from hiring a professional like you, um, And if they don't, they're wondering, why did I lose the passion in this connection? Or they're wondering if they're single, can I become attracted to this person that I don't feel a sexual attraction to? So I'm curious, like, 
for the single people out there, how does attraction work? Like, do you think sexual attraction can grow or it's just there or it's not? And how does it work when it left in a relationship? Love, love, love this question. Woo-hoo. This will be a five-hour <laughs> so, episode. I'm just going to keep going, girl. <laughs> I'm excited. So here's the thing. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm so ready. Each individual on earth is responsible for their own turn-on. Mic drop. What does that mean? That means that I'm responsible if my passion goes away, I'm responsible for that. That's my responsibility. It's not his responsibility to turn me on. It's my responsibility to own my turn on. What am I doing to activate my own sexuality, my own sensual nature on a daily basis? What am I doing? We like to surround ourselves with nature, with flowers, with, you know, things that smell good, with beautiful foods, the sensual pleasures of life, right? Like we live at the beach. So we walk on the beach in the sand, we hike in the mountains, we take baths together. You know, we do massage for each other. We get massages out there in life, you know, from the this amazing rolfer, which I'm happy to refer you if you want. Um, and so if I'm responsible for my own turn on now, if I don't feel turned on, let's say, and he does, then I can just share that truth. Like, Hey babe, I'm not feeling it right now. However, I really want to, because I see you're turned on. So can you give me 10 minutes and I'm going to do what I need to do to sort of activate my sexy. And then I'm going to come back. And then I'll, maybe I'll go in the bathroom and I'll, maybe I'll take a shower, wash off the day. And maybe I have a lot on my mind and whatever's happening. And so I bring my turn on and, you know, maybe I'll just do a body scrub. So I feel nice and soft. And then I'll come to him and I'll say, okay, I'm like 50% there. Can you do some massage, non-sexual massage to just help me relax and help me get in the mood? And you use this as a way to connect deeper. And usually what we do is we use our sexuality as a weapon in relationship where it's like, well, I'm ready. Where are you? And now it's like, oh, the stress and the pressure of like, I'm not ready. I'm not turned on yet. This is all, you know, and then you're kind of at the mercy of, of your partner's sexuality. And instead, if we vulnerably share. I'm not quite there yet. And I really want to be like, I'm totally dedicated to getting there. And can you help me? You know, can you help me a little bit? Mm. That is one of the most vulnerable, loving things you can do in relationship. And that's something that helps grow passion over time because you can use it as a way to connect deeper and be more playful and curious and like, Ooh, does this feel good? Or do you want pressure over here? You know, sometimes, You can also use non-sexual attention physically. You can be naked together and do skin, what we call skin time, which is you're naked together and spooning or just laying together on the bed where you're just having the physical connection of skin on skin contact. And if you do that, literally you can set a timer for five minutes five minutes of skin time every day is going to help develop that desire in you for more physical contact. Mm. And it's a safe way to do it. And what about, I mean, and that's just so interesting, uh, cause I have a lot of friends who are power women and their boyfriends that they think they want to marry. They're not feeling as turned on by, and I'm noticing the dynamic where they're being more masculine energy in the connection where maybe they have their own personal brand and they're very much tapped into their business. And 
I could totally see how somebody could lose their sexual energy if they're just so focused on one thing and not tending to other areas of themselves and in turn their relationship. Um, but this is a huge issue. Yeah, it's this huge. is a huge issue, and this is something that we deal with with a lot of our couples because all the couples that we work with are passionate about their business as they should be, right? And if they're not, we got to work on that, right? But if you're putting your passion into your business, which you should be, mm-hmm. then if you're not reserving some percent every day for your relationship, then it's going to take the back seat. Your relationship will take the back seat. And what happens is people get really excited about building their business and they put all their energy there and all their time and all their attention. And then they expect their relationship to continue to grow. And it doesn't work like that. If you don't nurture, it's like a garden, right? If you don't water it and if you don't give it proper sunshine and proper shade, then it's not going to grow. And it probably will die off. And so we tend to think, oh, well, he'll always be there or she'll always be there. And it's just a phase I'm going through where I really have to focus here. But if you literally say to yourself at the beginning beginning of the day, I'm going to reserve 5% of my energy to make sure that I have full attention for my partner at the end of the day, where I greet my partner with a smile and smiling eyes and my heart center. And I literally put all my technology away when I first see my partner at the end of the day, that I'm going to give all my attention there. Mm. That is one of the most beautiful expressions of love because what happens is we give partial attention all the time. Hold on. I'm finishing a text. I'm finishing writing an email. I'm doing this. And we do this partial look. Like if you look, if you turn your head to greet your partner, to wave and say hello versus standing up and walking over with your, your eyes, your nose, your chest, and your belly all in the same alignment facing your partner now you're giving them the exquisite attention. And that's a practice that we teach also. We love timers. So we have a one minute timer where literally you have your partner stand in front of you to receive. They do nothing but receive. Their eyes can be opened or closed. You're standing in front of them and you are channeling all of the love, energy, and attention that you can for your partner. And in silence or out loud, you put your hands out and you are channeling all this love through your hands, through your heart, through your eyes, through your entire body. You're sending love and good vibrations into your partner. And you're saying to yourself, either silently or out loud, I love this person. Person. I love your arms. I love your torso. I love all your parts. I love your legs. I'm so into you. I think you're sexy. I, th- I want you to have the most amazing life ever. I want your whole evening to be incredible. Like you're just sending all kinds of good vibes. And then you walk around your partner, sending all that love into them and they're just receiving it. And one minute goes really fast. So you're just going to walk around and then they're taking deep breaths in, just receiving the entire thing. And then you either can switch or not. Mm. Like if one person is just depleted and needs to receive, they can just receive and that's all. And that's exquisite attention. Wonderful. And what about with the single ladies or evolved gentlemen who are listening right now (laughs) who are thinking like, you know, I have this friend and they're so perfect, but I'm not attracted to them. So you said you're responsible for your turn but I think like, I don't know, like some people you just feel it with and some people you don't. So what are your thoughts with that? I'd say if you're not attracted to someone right off the bat, that's not a bad thing. However, it's not necessarily 
a love relationship. You don't know yet. And so what you want to do is you want to keep it explicitly friends until one or both of you shifts into, oh, oh my gosh, I actually do see you as a lover. I actually do feel something for you. Sometimes it's a long, slow burn. And so you want to give it the attention that it deserves and do it with very clear boundaries. Don't get drunk and slip up and be like, whoops, we, we just wanted to check it out and see, and it wasn't great. Right. Uh (laughs) I slipped and fell in there. Oops. Don't do that. Oh my God. That's amazing. Whoops. I slipped and fell on my friend's D and like hope, (laughs) hope that I didn't ruin the friendship. Okay. Fair enough. Right. And I kind of going back to this idea of incongruence and then I want to get into your fourth, um, question, you know, of all these factors to consider whether you're ready to date or even be committed, um, in the relationship you're in is the incongruence of the opposite. So we talked a lot about the man who says yes, but their actions say no, and it could look like breadcrumbs or all sorts of stuff. But what about the man? Cause I think a lot of women, are out there right now, especially single. And the guy says, Hey, you know, kind of like your, your line, which is like my new favorite line. Um, (laughs) Hey, like I'm interested in taking on some lovers right now, but I am not looking for partnership. But then everything that guy does mirrors ready for partnership. Um, how do women and men navigate this dynamic where somebody looks at them and says no, but their behavior is a yes. How does somebody step away from that or speak up? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Cause I think that happens a lot. It does happen a lot. It does happen a lot. That's the case where you're listening to the words, not the actions. So when someone is saying to you, I'm not available for a full monogamous relationship. And yet they're showing up and they're bringing you flowers. They introduce you to their family. You know, they take you on hikes. They, 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 you know, whisk you off, you know, on an airline somewhere to a fabulous location and you're making love and it's amazing. And you're talking about building a business together. Doesn't matter. Their words are saying they're not available for a relationship and you need to listen to it. So if you're starting to fall in love with somebody like that, guess what? Five other women are also. Okay. And you need to know that this person has a massive capacity to give love and doesn't want to receive. That's somebody who has a controlling nature, by the way. If you can only give and you can't receive fully, that that's a form of control. So Listen to the words that people speak out loud. Oh my God. In that, in that situation. Does that make sense? Yeah. Shit just got real on the U-turn podcast. I am like, <laughs> holy shit. Yeah. Well, I'm actually just thinking like, I, um, I, you know, in the past, I remember in my history of love, I just absolutely love this one guy and he and I, and all of his actions matched being in a relationship, but he kept saying he wasn't ready for one. And so I resonate with what you're saying, looking back on that and just reflecting on it. But what do you mean when you say they have a high capacity to give, and maybe they're just giving to one woman, right? But they don't have the capacity to receive and there's control in that. Can you elaborate on that? Because I think there's a lot of depth probably on the other yes, side of that. Definitely. That's a really... Um subtle nuance here, right? So when we think of control, we usually think of something other than what I just said, right? Yeah. And so if someone is a major giver 
and yet they cannot receive from you. Like, for example, it's like, oh, I've got the check. I, I've got that. No, here, let me give this to you. Let me massage you. Let me please you sexually. And yet they can't receive. You can't get a word in edgewise to give something to them. That's because they can't receive. Mm. And if they can't receive, you can't be in relationship with them because it's a one-way street and a one-way street is controlling the flow of receiving. So they're only going to be able to receive in the way they feel they can receive. And you don't even know what those ways are. And they might not even know what those ways are, but it's a very controlled flow. And so, and typically it comes from internal sources or it comes from some kind of, um, like, they receive through how they exercise their body or they receive through eating really healthy or they receive in ways that they can control. But in, if in a relationship, if it's only one direction giving, then it's a danger sign. It's a, it's a, it's a form of a subtle control issue. And it's something to really watch out for because, um, you know, I mean, if, can we go into a sexual talk about it? Yeah, please. Okay. So like, let's say if one person wants to perform oral sex all the time on, on you Mm -hmm. and they can't receive in the other direction, Mm. that's, that's a danger sign. It's like, okay, what's going on there that I can't give you pleasure. Like I want to give you pleasure. Yeah. It's a form of control. They don't want to be out of control in some way. And so that's, that's something that I've learned over time, over many years of working with couples that, um, it's a real subtlety in the sexual area that is obvious when you're in it. Like, because when you really love someone, you want to explore sexually with them. You want to find out like, what do you enjoy? And you want to do that for the person because it feels good to give pleasure to yourself and your partner. And if they keep shutting it down because they're like, no, 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 here, let me, um, wow, you can't receive what I have to give. And there's a sadness to that for the person who wants to give. Mm, So interesting. This is so interesting. (laughs) Okay. Well, so step number four of your seven signs that you are not ready for relationship or that you probably aren't ready to really continue in the one you're in. You said, if you allow your friends to complain about dating, you're not ready. So what does this mean? Because I have sat in on many a lunch and it's entertaining to me. I'm like, I'm listening to it. And I'm like, oh my God, that's unbelievable. So what is that about? Cause it can be really funny and it could be a fun conversation. It can, it can, you know, this is taking it to the extreme right now. If you're really dedicated to bringing in a partnership and you are a hundred percent on board, you're like, Oh, uh, this is it. I am, I am super ready. You won't allow any negativity to be in your field and especially around the dating conversation. So, you know, sometimes people complain and, you know, it's like, that's fine. It's your best friend and you want to let them kind of off gas a little bit. But if they get into the conversation around dating with negativity, then you need to be the one to stand up for what you believe in and say, you know what? I love you. And I just want to let you know, I'm not available for complaining about dating anymore because I don't want to send that vibe out that I think that there's problems in the dating world. I'm actually actively working against that to work towards creating a partnership in my life. And if I'm focusing on all the complaining and the gossip and the negativity, then part of my attention and energy is going there. So 
you know, you can let them vent a little bit and then shift the conversation. If they keep bringing it back to vent to, you know, complaining, that's when you need to say something. Mm -hmm. If they just allow you to go, oh yeah, I know, blah, blah, blah. And let's talk about this instead. If they allow you to shift the conversation, you don't need to go all ham wild on them and say, I'm not, you know, living with negativity in my life. You don't have to go crazy on them, but just shift the conversation very gently, very slightly. And if they follow along, they probably don't want to complain either. But if they root back into the negativity and the complaining about the dating situation, then you do need to stand up and say something and you need to honor yourself to say, I don't want to participate in that anymore. Yeah. And I'm, it's funny too. Cause like my truth about it is that I find it really funny and I don't take it on. So for me, when they complain, like, I guess it just, just depends on how negative it is. Like, you know, um, like recently we were in a group text and there was a guy on an app and he had like a bulletproof vest in his picture, a water <laughs> bottle holder and a big gold bracelet. And he was hiking Runyon Canyon in Hollywood. And I was like, who hikes Runyon Canyon with a bulletproof vest? Like he's really preparing for the worst. And so like, sometimes there's like so much humor, you know, yeah, in, in dating. Yeah. So, but I think it's, it's okay to be playful. You definitely want to be playful. And then, you know, you know, when it turns into full on gossiping and yeah. negativity and everything. And the truth is, is that this is another opportunity to practice having the courage to speak up and speak your truth. Because I think that practicing with your friends is the best way to practice for a relationship. Mm. So if you practice with your friends and you say, look, I just want to share with you all, I don't want to complain anymore. And also I'm kind of addicted to it. So I also need your help. Like, you know, engage your friends and enroll your friends in helping you to stop complaining and gossiping about negativities in dating. And they want to help you. Your friends want to see you be successful in relationship and be be happy. So, you know, you can play and gossip a little bit and then shift it immediately by practicing speaking up and speaking your truth. Cause then guess what? You've been practicing and that'll help you when you're in relationship. Mm, and you know, I think there's such a fine line for so many people with setting a boundary and speaking your truth versus like emotionally leaking wreckage all over somebody, you know? So I think it's amazing to like check in with yourself too. Like, Sometimes people are complaining and it's like triggering or activating something in you that, you know, you speak up, but you sound so defensive and angry versus other people who sound empowered and like, Hey, I don't know if these complaints are true. I think that there's another way to look at it. So I think this is also an opportunity to stand and be an example for the people in your life. How does this apply for people who are married or in a partnership? Um, and they're always complaining about their relationship. I do the same thing. Any of my friends, if they start complaining about, first of all, if my friends complain about their relationship, they know what they're going to get, right? <laughs> they already know. They know that I'm going to ask a real question. Like, is this a serious issue? Is this something you actually need to talk about? Or are you just off gassing? Cause I like to know the difference. I like to know, is this something that you actually want my attention on? Or is this, are you just off gassing here? And I think that's a great question to ask your friends mm -hmm. because you know, it makes a difference if you really want to talk about a real issue or if you just want to complain a little bit, because there's nothing wrong with complaining a little bit and getting it out and then moving forward. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but part of the issue here is learning how to deal with people's reactions when you're speaking your truth and you need that skill set in relationship also, right? When you speak your truth in relationship, your partner is going to have a reaction, Mm -hmm. And you have no control over that reaction. So you're going to need to practice speaking your truth and dealing with somebody else's reaction, even if it's not pleasant, because 
if you're more dedicated to the truth than feeling, then you're really going to have an amazing growth-based relationship. Mm, Beautiful. And so just for everybody listening, the seven signs, number one, if you're asking yourself these questions, you're not ready. Number two, if you're in the first year of a new job, you're not ready. Um, Number three, if you've been dating someone that doesn't meet your expectations, you're taking breadcrumbs, you're not ready. Um, Number four, if you're allowing people to complain, you're not ready. Um, Number five, okay, so if you flirt with people who aren't available, you're not ready. I don't really have any friends that I've watched this with, but tell me more about what that means. Because aren't available doesn't have to mean that they have a partner, right? It just means like they're emotionally unavailable. There's a lot of ways that they could be unavailable. Yes. Now, the, the most obvious way is if you're flirting with a married person, you're definitely not ready, okay? That's number one. But if you're flirting with people who are in a relationship or, you know, dating other people and they're not really available, meaning they are putting their attention in other locations that are not in your direction, then it's, it's the kind of thing that if you're putting your energy in a direction that is not receiving you, then you're wasting your flirty energy right? Mm-hmm. Like instead flirt with babies and flirt with puppies and kittens, and, <laughs> you know, flirt with the trees and flirt with the ocean, but don't flirt with people who aren't available. It's good to practice flirting. I say flirt with the universe. That's what we do. Flirting with the universe is how we move through the world. Like we're happy on the inside and we're emanating that out on the outside mm-hmm. because here's what happens is when you are flirting, which is a fabulous quality to have, you want to use it as a playful way of exploring possibilities and to see what's really happening in yourself. And it's a way to, you know, activate your own turn on. And it's a way to see the world with sparkly eyes, which is one of the things that I love to do. Like, like, Hmm, what is going on in the world? There's a lot of negativity out there, but there's also a lot of amazing, positive people and things happening that you want to align with. So bringing the flirty energy that's non-sexual is the way to go. Flirt in a non-sexual way, like meaning be playfully curious to find out who is this person? I'm wondering, who are you as a human? What are you interested in? What is your storyline? I like flirting with old people. I like flirting with people (laughs) who've had lots of life experience. Like, who are you? Like, you're like a hundred years old. <laughs> what have you done? Like, there's got to be some good stories in there. I want to know. I would love to be a fly on your wall. Like, I love <laughs> flirting with old people. Like, hell yeah, Marla, you get that. <laughs> well, okay. So then I have a question about that. I was, and this has happened to me before, and I think this happens for a lot of people on the note of flirting, where you are looking across the room at someone, they're looking at you. You guys are literally looking at each other so much that you can't even focus. And then somebody just walks walks out and leaves. Like nobody makes a move. Nobody tries. What happens when that happens? Because I have a lot of friends who are like, I don't want to, this is what we were just, I just heard them saying at lunch. Like, I don't want to be the one that has to get up and initiate if we're looking at each other. Like, why don't they come over to me? So what's your thought on somebody that does that on both sides? Okay. First of all, I have a great little story for this and this will probably help. So when, when I was very young, probably like 21, I used to go to this bar with some of my friends and we'd play pool or we would do all kinds of fun things. And 
I didn't know I was doing this, but one of my friends told me later one night, she's like, I was watching you this time because men would always come up to me and talk to me. And she was like, how do you get men to do that? So here's what I used to do. I used to scan the room to see, I'm totally giving you a good nugget here, by the way. (laughs) I used to scan the room to see who I wanted to interact with. And then I would literally stare at that person until they happened to look my way. (laughs) I would hold eyes with them just long enough for me to look away. And then eventually they would come over and I wouldn't look at them again. So I would have that very intense eye contact with that knowing and that stirring inside. And I can, I knew that he was feeling it too. And then I would look away before he did. And then eventually he had to come over. Like, what was that? You know, he got hit with something and he would come over and, and I would do to, that with multiple people well, and at th- the bar. Oh my God. Thanks to all your control issues too, Marley. You probably look badass and like stunning <laughs> harnessing your beauty. So I can see it. Um, okay. That's really fun. I'm sure a lot of people are listening. And I think that's actually an incredible strategy for a lot of things. It doesn't just have to be love. Like maybe you want, you don't have to give sexual energy, but if you want to talk to somebody, you know, when you feel like somebody wants to talk to the waiter, like they keep looking for the person, like it, you call in people's attention with your energy being directed at them. So I think that's just interesting in general. And then exactly. point number six, um, and I know we're like going far on time, so feel free to let me know. I'm good. Okay, good. Cause this is like, I am so in you right now. Um, <laughs> so if you're still dealing with trauma in your life, past or present, you're not ready. I think this is so slippery because what is trauma? When does it end? When are you ready? So I'd love to hear how somebody can figure this out. Yeah, that is such a personal journey, right? So any trauma that you are dealing with or have dealt with, and when I'm talking about abuse, I'm talking about physical, mental, or sexual abuse. I'm talking about dealing with uh, a death of a friend or a family member. I'm talking about drug abuse. You know, I'm talking about all of the the major traumas that happen in our life. Now, if you're still dealing with the trauma as if it's present, then it's the time to really just focus on yourself and, and give yourself the attention you need. Surround yourselves with friends and family members who really are for you and care about you and what you're doing in the world and, and have a, a really tight knit group of a community that you can rely on and rest in and, and get support with, right. Whether it's um, a free group or whether you're you know paying a therapist or something, but past trauma can be one of those, um, sort of slowing down points when you're starting a relationship. So once you have a handle on your trauma, because trauma doesn't just go away and then suddenly you're ready. It's more like, you know, okay. You mean you don't get hit with like a little like angel that hits you and it's like, ding, ding, it's time. Your trauma's over. (laughs) Trauma's over. It's like, of course not, right? There's always the next spiral level up of the trauma that then transforms yet again and again and again. And then you start using it as a way to transform yourself over and over and over into the most evolved version of yourself in this life. And so eventually you want to include a partner in that. And so the first step is making sure that you have a handle on your trauma on your own, not getting in a relationship in order to handle your trauma. Mm. You want to handle that on your own first, meaning with a skilled 
practitioner. Mm -hmm. And then once you feel like, you know, I'm not a mystery to myself anymore. I feel like I know why this is here. I feel connected with myself. I feel like I wouldn't just get into a codependent relationship. Then you start interacting, you start dating and just tell yourself, I'm not going to actually get into a serious relationship for at least nine months to a year. I'm just going to date. I'm going to observe the truth of how I show up, how I feel when this person is around. Because anybody who's been dealing with trauma, um, you have to feel the truth of how you feel. How, when you're like, when you go on a date, do you feel uplifted or do you feel drained? Do you feel um, like you were seen and heard or was the other person talking the whole time? Right. So you want to use, even if you think they're amazing, good, put them in a friend category then, because if they don't give to you, then it's not going to be a relationship that you're going to want to be a part of. If you're somebody who has dealt with trauma in the past. Mm, So interesting. And Um, I had a friend and I myself have called off my own wedding. I was um, engaged to somebody like years ago, called it off, didn't feel like he was the right guy. And I had a friend who recently called off her wedding. And I keep joking that we're like the runaway brides together because we travel a lot together. Um, I'm so curious, like, how do people know when they're ready to bounce back? Maybe somebody's dealing with a divorce or they know that they're about to get one, or maybe they went through a really bad breakup. Like, how do you know when it's trauma versus healing? And how do you kind of take action based on that outside of working with a professional? Great, great question. So trauma versus healing. So when you're in the trauma and you're activated by it over and over, what happens is you've got this negative cascade of chemicals that's flowing in your system almost constantly. And it makes it really hard to see the truth of yourself and the truth of anybody around you. And so that's when it's time to do a lot of self-care, a lot of self-inquiry. There's a lot of amazing self-books out there that you can read around trauma. Um, There's a lot of physical practices around releasing trauma. And so if you're really in the thick of it, you know, you know, if you get activated when you're in a group of people or if someone is too aggressive when they approach you or, you know, if you get activated in certain ways. Now, if you're beyond that phase where you feel those chemicals flowing and yet you're able to still stay present and be in a conversation, that's when you want you're in the healing phase. And that's when you are, you know, looking on, hmm. Who do I really want in my life? Who is going to add value to my life? Who's going to uplift me? I know I uplift other people. That's not in question here. I want to know who's going to bring value to my life. And it feels really weird and awkward and selfish, especially for those of us who are givers in the beginning, because it's like, oh, I just want to give because it's sometimes it's just easier and more comfortable to give. But if you're dealing with some past trauma and you're in the healing phase, don't give. And it feels, like I said, it feels really awkward not to, and yet give yourself the gift of witnessing how someone else shows up, whether it's a friend, a family member, a partner, a group you're in, like really check in. How do you feel when you're around this person? And then people really tell you the truth about themselves right from the beginning. We can't help it. We just show up as who we really are. And if the more work you do on yourself, meaning the more you know who you really are and anybody who's been through trauma, they know who they are. And especially if they're on the other side coming throughout through the healing, then you want to really ask yourself, okay, 
let's look at who's in my life right now. Who uplifts me in my life right now? Continue to bond with those people, continue to develop those relationships. And then the people who are on the, they don't really uplift me list. You don't have to make any bold statements. You don't have to send out a big memo. Like (laughs) just stop interacting with them. Meaning just slow down the communication. You stop being the one to reach out. That's number one. You stop reaching out to them. If they reach out to you, you can respond, but don't be the one to reach out. If that person doesn't actually uplift you. Mm, Love this. Yes. And, um, the seventh step that I find also just as difficult to be discerning with is that you said is if you're still stuck on your ex, you're definitely not ready when it's the same question. Like at what point do you kind of think to yourself? Cause I think a lot of people, the belief is they're not going to fully move on until they've experienced something just as good, if not better. Um, what are your, what is your stance on that? Because I think a lot of people reflect lovingly or you're with a yearning for their last person they loved, or maybe they're in a relationship. And if they're really honest with themselves, they think, well, I had a better love with this other person. They're the one that got away. Um, what is your thought on that? Like, how do people be discerning about this? So I want to address the the second part first. So when you talk about if you're in a relationship and you're pining away for sort of the one who got away, that is a huge red flag, right? So if that's you and you're listening to this right now and you're thinking, God, I really do feel like that one got away. Here's the thing. I'm going to make a suggestion. You don't have to take it, but I'm going to make a suggestion anyway. Ask yourself, am I willing to speak that out loud to my current partner? Am I willing to share the truth about what I'm doing in my mind with my current partner? Because it's going to do one of two things. It's either going to blow up your current relationship or it's going to build a deeper intimacy between the two of you because it's going to give that person the truth of, I don't know why, but I keep pining away from my ex. I feel like there's something missing with us. I don't know what it is. I keep thinking about him. I I'm like, fantasizing about him. And I don't want to be, or I'm not sure. I feel confused. Like, I don't know what to do, but I wanted to bring this to you because I love you. And I do want to be with you. And I don't know what to do. That is one of the most vulnerable things you can do in a relationship is tell the truth, Mm -hmm. right. And say, I don't know what to do about this, but if I keep it in my own mind, it stays hidden it stays secret, it stays private, and then it will fester. And then anytime there's a problem in your current relationship, you're going to go right back to that old self-soothing of fantasizing about the ex. If you're having sex with your current partner and you're fantasizing about your ex over and over and over, it's a problem. It's a problem, right? If you're, if you're fantasizing about your ex, you're fantasizing about other people who cares, right? But if you're fantasizing only about your ex over and over and over, that's a big issue. So if that's what's happening, my suggestion is if you can be really vulnerable with your current partner, like I said, you're going to see the truth of the relationship by how you share. Mm. That's kind of bold, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Well, and I can't help but think, you know, like I look back on my past with love and there have been times where I have exes that I truly love and it just didn't work out. And, you know, you kind of think fondly on them when you're dating, because until you meet the right next person, you haven't. And so you kind of have a reference point of that last person you loved. 
So where is the line for the single ladies and gentlemen listening who are think? I love that I said ladies and gentlemen. That's really funny to me. <laughs> my dad reminds me of my dad. He's like 70. Oh, yeah. He's 75. He's an activist and he writes letters to the government and they start with ladies and gentlemen. And I'm oh, like, oh, that's my hilarious. God. But like the people who are listening who are single, you know, where is that friendly line of like, okay, you just miss your ex because that was the last time you had love in your life versus, oh, you really miss your ex. You're not over them and you need to not be dating right now. Yes. Okay. So here's the thing. The last one that you loved or, you know, five men ago or whatever, five women ago, right? If you're still kind of pining away for someone or you're, you're thinking back fondly on a past relationship, which is totally healthy, right? I don't want to make it seem like it's not. It totally is healthy to look back and go, wow, I really loved that person. That was an amazing relationship. The thing is, is, is if you're using it for inspiration, like I really loved these qualities in this person. And yet the reason we're not together anymore is X, Y, Z. ABC, et cetera, right? Like you have the balance in your mind of the truth, meaning I loved these things, these things, not so much. So overall, I'm glad we're not together. That's a healthy version. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing is you want to own the experience of the past. Your, your past lover doesn't own the experience. You own your own experience. And here's the thing. You want to say it in a way to yourself of, you know what? It's not him that I miss. It's me feeling deeply in love. I miss me feeling that deep love. Mm. It's not him. It's not her. Don't attach it to a person. It's not actually personal. It's actually what's flowing through you and your ability to love and be love and receive love and give love. And that's what you actually miss. It's not actually the person. If you really get down to the core, core feeling of it, it's not the person. It's the experience that you felt and that you're capable of feeling, that you're capable of feeling deep, impactful love. And that's what you want to take with you moving forward. So you want to release the personal, which is this man, this woman, this scenario, this type of person, this, this house, this car, you know, all that personal stuff, shed it all the way down to, I had the ability to love so deeply and so passionately. And that's what I miss. So that's what I'm looking for. I want to see who's the next person that's going to activate that inside of me, my passion, someone who's going to activate my love. You know, that's what I'm excited about. And so you take it away from the personal experience and you move it more into what we call the universal experience, which is the deep love that flows through all humans. Cause really the truth is that love is all there is flowing mm. through all of us. Mm. And I think just kind of looking at what you're saying right now for people who are in partnerships, who are longing for somebody else, like you've given such good feedback. Marla, I want to just, I think everybody's listening, probably ready to buy anything you have. This has just been so amazing. I'm so curious, like where can everybody learn more about you? Where can people go deeper with all of this amazing insight that you have? 
Oh, thank you so much. This has been so fun. So fun. Um, <laughs> so on Instagram, you can follow us at the Intimacy Experts. That's mm-hmm. us on Instagram. And then on my website, marlamattinson.com is a great place. There, We have a great exercise called the Redo, which basically replaces you ever needing to say, I'm sorry to your partner ever again, because you can redo in the moment. It's super fun. So if you want to opt into my website, you you can get that for free. We don't send a lot of emails at all, so don't worry about that. And then, of course, on Facebook, Marla Mattinson. Wonderful. Thank you so much for such an insightful episode. I can't wait to get this out, and I'm going to email it to a couple friends who need it before <laughs> I can't make them wait for the release date right now. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning into the U-Turn Podcast. And thank you again so much for our sponsors. We are here because of you. And to our listeners, thank you for checking out our sponsors. We always pick people and brands that we trust and we believe in. And just for listening to the show, writing your reviews on the Apple app, and just being willing to make your own U-Turns. We'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.